What is good, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I am sorry that I did not post an episode last week. I'm going to be straight up with y'all. I celebrated my five-year anniversary last week with my amazing wife, and I was also sick. So the stars did not align to allow me to be able to uh, take the time to record and upload. But we are back this week, and I'm going to be straight up with y'all. We're finishing up Ephesians 4 today, I know. Hoorah, this is amazing. Uh, But I'm going to be honest with you, my mind is already on Ephesians 5. I'm excited. I am excited for Ephesians 5. Uh, There's a lot of controversy, and you know I love biblical controversy, but (laughs) uh, I'm I'm playing. I I really don't enjoy it, but I do love enjoying doing the studying to understand both sides of arguments and try and figure out which one is right. Because unlike postmodern relativists, uh, there is a true answer. There is a true answer when it comes to scriptural debates. It is just up to us to do our best to study and understand and pray that God gives us wisdom to know what it is that he's trying to tell us through his word. Uh, But we're finishing up Ephesians 4, and let's hop straight into this. We are going through verse 28 all the way down to verse 32. So let's get into this. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's like we always do. Let's go verse by verse and break this down. Once again, starting in verse 28, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So as I mentioned a couple episodes back, what Paul is doing here in the latter part of Ephesians 4 is he is starting to dive into the practical applications of what it means to become unified under Christ with other believers, becoming the new temple, the new dwelling place of God. Because as a collective unit, the members of the body of Christ, they they can't go on living for themselves without regard for our brothers and sisters. It, It just cannot happen. The body of Christ cannot survive or function if we continue to think that we are individuals in God's greater plan. We have to recognize that although God loves us individually and although God gives us individual gifts and God may have individual plans for each one of us, the ultimate goal is that all things that are poured into the individual will work to support the greater whole. So we have to work together. We have to support each other. We have to love each other. We have to learn how to work as a unit 
Otherwise, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Jesus movement, this whole bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, it won't work. And Paul recognizes the fact that we need each other. And he also recognizes that this new body, it cannot function if we are not continuously working to be unified under Christ. This is why Paul says back in verse 15 that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if we're going to work properly together and fulfill the promise that Christ has given us, Paul understands that we need some practical steps we can take. And I love this because Paul isn't the type of guy to just point out a problem and not offer a solution. He, he's not the type of guy to just want to tear down structures without a plan to build something else in its place. That's a lot of what we see uh, in humanity in general. But I mean, if you're paying attention to anything today, you see this a lot in society and in culture. So many people just want to criticize and tear things down without having any sort of plan for what to do instead. And, and Paul doesn't do that to us here. He gives us a plan. And Paul has already mentioned that there are practical steps that we can take, right? He mentioned, and we covered this last episode, uh, speaking the truth with your neighbor. That's important. He mentioned that uh, you're not going to be able to function as a unit, as a communal body, if you allow anger to overtake you and you allow it to give the devil a foothold over you, right? And so we now turn our focus to some more practical steps, which is stealing and corrupt language, the way that we talk. And one thing we should notice about this list of actions is that these are not actions that only affect the individual. All these actions that Paul is calling out, he calls them out because they affect the community as a whole. That, that's what it is. Speaking the truth. Why is that important? Because you need somebody to be able to speak the truth to. <laughs> you, you can't lie if nobody is around you. Anger. Anger means nothing if there's no one to anger you and no one to be angry at. Stealing and corrupt language means nothing if there's no one to steal from and no one to speak corruptly to. So all of these things that Paul is pointing out are actions that necessitate a life within a community. And when we do these things wrong, it affects everyone around us. And ultimately, that is what sin does. It affects those around you. So speaking truth, controlling your anger, not stealing, not having corrupt language, not being bitter not being wrathful, all of these things affect the people around you. And for this reason, we must work to put on our new self, which is like Christ, in order to do right by the body of Christ. So with that being said, 
let's look at the prescriptions that Paul lays out for theft and corrupt talk. He says once again, let the thief no longer steal. Right? Paul's laying the premise. This is an action. You're stealing. This is what the thief is doing. And he says, but instead, let him labor. Have him do honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he can have something to share with anyone in need. And I don't need to spend any time pointing out why theft and corrupt language is bad. Uh, I, I just want to look at Paul's solution to this and the implications for the community of Christ. Because I love how Paul does not simply say, hey, uh, stealing is bad, so just don't do it anymore. All right, bye. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Paul doesn't just simply come out and say, quit doing this. What he does is he tells you that it's wrong. He tells you to stop doing it. And he gives you something else to do in return. He gives another avenue and another way that your actions can be used. He says, stop stealing. Stop because it's wrong. And instead of stealing, why don't you do some honest work? Why don't you put your energy and strength to the test to see how much good and honorable things you can do with your own skills instead of taking from somebody else's work and skills? Why don't you put yourself to the test to see what you can produce? Because God has given you the ability to do so. And I love this principle of Paul diverting from a negative action with the supplication of introducing a positive action. I love this principle because it's fundamental to how humans operate. And this is what my wife and I do with our children from time to time. I didn't know this, but my wife told me. But my daughter loves to put things in her mouth when she was younger. Cords, dog food, you know, all the delicious things. And over and over, my reaction would just be to take them out of her mouth, say, no, don't do that, and hope that she would just ponder life and realize that chewing on these things is pointless. But obviously, her being a baby, she didn't do that. And my wife told me that instead of just taking things out of our teething baby's mouth, right, and, and expecting her to just understand that it's wrong and to not do it, what you should do is take the thing out of her mouth that is wrong and then put something else in her hand that is acceptable to chew on, like a teething toy. And when I did this, it was it was astounding how quickly she picked up the fact that I, I have this need to chew. And her, her initial options were to chew on things that were harmful to her. And instead of just simply telling her, get rid of the need to chew, we recognized her need to chew and gave her something more acceptable to act out her needs. And this principle isn't just for babies. It works on adults too. And Paul knows this. Instead of just telling the thief to please stop, it's not nice. Paul gives them something else that they can do with their abundance of free time and energy. Do honest work. 
labor hard, be productive. These are the things that Paul prescribes. And guess what comes of that honest work? What comes of that honest work is something to show for it. That's why Paul says, do this good, hard labor and be productive so that you can have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that interesting? You, you were stealing because you had energy, free time. You were in need. And how surprising is it then that when you do hard work, when you take that free time and energy you have to do hard work and to be productive, you now no longer need because you're producing things and you're able to produce enough to then give to those who need. Paul is completely subverting the thief's need to steal by repurposing the, the thing that's going on in their mind, right? The, the need that they have to have energy and to fill their time and to provide for their needs. He is repurposing it so that they can be productive and so that they can start living in their new self in Christ. Isn't that incredible? The antidote to selfish, sinful actions is to put yourself to work in order to produce something that can help your neighbors in and out of the body of Christ. And, and the same goes for what Paul calls out with corrupt talking. Like, look what Paul says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupt talk. Uh, another issue that, that we have when we are living in our old self, uh, apart from Christ. Corrupt talk. What is that? Because I can hear people right now wondering if corrupt talk is just talking about curse words. Or wondering if it's talking about just things that you say that have ill intent or meaning, like, you know, being angry or being, you know, mean or rude towards someone. Uh, so, so let's take a look. Corrupt. This word corrupting talk. Uh, here in the Greek, it's the word sapros. And this literally means rotten, worthless, and bad. And for some... This may still leave some ambiguity, right? Because I, I think we can find some clear application in the rest of verse 29, however. Because Paul says the only talk that should be coming out of your mouths is talk that is good for building up. So regardless of if it's curse words or just being rude or, or mean or unnecessarily rude or mean, at, at no time should we be speaking in ways that are meant to tear down or demean, right? Because those are the complete opposite of building up. The words that should be coming out of our mouths should be done with the intent to build up, to help your fellow believer become more like Christ. The goal that Paul talked about in verse 15, that we can grow up in every way like Christ. And once again, I love what Paul does here is he gives us a better and more wholesome action to do in place of a problematic one. He doesn't just say, hey, don't say bad things and leave it at that. He gives us a way to utilize the words that we have to put them to good use. And you may wonder, why is our language, right? Why are, why are these behaviors so important? Well, I want to take a quick look at 
Isaiah 59. This is actually very, very insightful to our language and these actions and what that can lead to. Look at this. Isaiah 59, verse 9 through 13 says, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. That's interesting. Uh, th- th- they're reflecting here on the, the travesty that is overcoming them. And so they're pointing out um, right now that, hey, uh, we don't have justice right now. Uh, righteousness isn't taking us over like we're, we're in a really bad place. They say we hope for light and behold darkness. This kind of points back to the creation narrative in Genesis 1 where where creation was dark. And this is where you had the chaotic waters in the darkness. They hope for light because light brings stability in the creation narrative, but they have no light. All they have is darkness. They have this chaotic, unstable darkness. They say, we hope or we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. So, what this passage is saying is they they were transgressing against God. They were denying God. They were speaking their, their talk, their words. They were speaking oppression and revolt. They, they were speaking against God and his people. They were uttering lying words. They, they, they had corrupt talk, just like what Paul's talking about here. They had corrupt talk. And what came from that corrupt talk? Well, transgression followed. Denying God followed. It led them to the whole community. It led the whole community to be in a place of chaotic darkness with no structure, with no hope, with no guidance, no justice, no righteousness. They were in a complete state of chaos and disorder. And it came from them speaking oppression and revolt, turning their back from following God and uttering lying words. That's the power of language. And Paul understands this. That is why he says, don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. That's why a few verses earlier he says, don't speak falsehood, but speak the truth. Because there is a real danger in corrupt language. There's a real danger in speaking in in wrong and evil ways to those around you. It corrupts you. It allows deceit and evil to seep in. The whole goal is for us to continue to build up one another. 
Because if we're all a part of this new temple and we're all a part of the body of Christ, we need every single person we can get. That's the goal. And corrupt talk, as Isaiah 59 points out, completely subverts that entire plan. It leads us away from God. On to verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve the Holy Spirit. That sounds deep. And to be honest, it, it is. And uh, there's a, a great quote from gotquestions.org. If y'all haven't noticed, I, I love gotquestions.org um, for resources, for just kind of some simplified answers to many, many questions. Don't agree with them on everything. They're, they're not the most deep and studied resource for in-depth, uh, you know, subjects and things like that. But they have really good biblical answers for many, many questions. I, I highly recommend them just as a good source, kind of a, a first step when you have questions about scripture. But anyway, they say this regarding what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really good. They say, quote, to understand what it means to grieve the Spirit, we must first understand that this indicates the Spirit possesses personality. Only a person can be grieved. Therefore, the Spirit must be a divine person in order to have this emotion. Once we understand this, we can better understand how he is grieved, mainly because we too are grieved. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, that we should not grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit by living like the pagans in Ephesians 4.17, by lying in Ephesians 4.25, by being angry in Ephesians 4.26, by stealing Ephesians 4.28, by cursing Ephesians 4.29, by being bitter Ephesians 4.31, by being unforgiving Ephesians 4.32, and by being sexually immoral Ephesians 5.3. To grieve the Spirit is to act out in a sinful manner, whether it is in thought only or in both thought and deed, end quote. And the closest example I can think of that helps me understand the pain and sorrow that we can cause God when we sin would be just thinking if the roles were reversed with my children. If you have children, you'll you'll understand this, and if not, I hope uh, I explain it in a way where you could understand. But I just imagine my daughter when she's older, living a life where she constantly lies to my face, constantly lies in general, where she's always filled with anger, where she steals, she curses, speaks terribly, is sexually immoral, all while knowing that I am able to see everything she is doing, and yet she doesn't care. And she doesn't care to stop, although she knows that it would cause me unimaginable sorrow and grief to see my child acting in such a destructive and evil way while knowing that I am watching everything that's happening. And to twist the knife even further, I imagine it would be like if she is doing this with the knowledge of me giving everything I have to save her life. 
yet she chooses to follow a path of destruction. Just thinking about that, just thinking of that ever somehow being a possibility, it breaks my heart. And that's what we do to God on such a larger scale. And it's happening with all of his children. <laughs> and he gave his life with just with the hope that some of his children would say, I probably need to stop. And I probably need to start listening to the one who made me. On to verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you once again. Paul points out the characteristics of our old self, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And he doesn't just say to stop it, right, and expect you to figure out the rest. But rather, he gives you another path to walk in its place. And that is to be kind, to be tender-hearted, to forgive. And we're supposed to do this not because we're so holy and great, but because that's what Christ did for us. We're supposed to reciprocate. You know, we talked about this idea a couple episodes ago about, about God's gift of grace and how in their culture, when a gift was given, they expected something in return. It's just how it was. Gifts came with strings attached. It, it's just understood to be that way. And so when we're told that God gave us this gift of grace and forgiveness. It, you know, a lot of times in modern Western culture, we think of that and say, oh, that's so sweet. Like, God gave me a gift. I'm not expected to give anything back because that's how we give gifts in our culture. But that's not how it's to be understood here in Scripture. God gave you this gift, fully expecting you to follow what he has told you to do. And to do what you can to repay it. The catch is you can't repay it. You never can. So in one sense, you're, you're a slave. And scripture has already told us that, right? You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to something and you have to choose. Either you're going to be a slave to evil and to sin, which leads to death, or you're going to be obedient and subservient and a slave to a perfect, holy, and good God who wants the best for you. You have to choose. And so when we get this gift of grace and we accept it, it's expected of us to be a slave to God, to follow his command. Because an entire lifetime of following God isn't enough to repay the debt that we're owed. And a part of that debt, and a part of the way that we repay that debt, is by extending the same measure of grace to others. The same measure of forgiveness, the same measure of love and kindness and tenderheartedness. That's what we're expected. We're expected to no longer steal and lie and be angry and talk in a corrupt way because that is not how Christ 
treated us. We're expected to live like him, which means we have to die to our old self and put on our new self. And Paul gives us the practical first steps to do that. And it'd be very wise for us to to think on this and pray about this and meditate on this and have this constantly in our mind, questioning ourselves every day. Am, am Am I speaking falsehood? Am I allowing anger to overtake me? Am am I stealing? Am I speaking in a corrupt way? Am I being bitter? Am I being unforgiving? These are the things we need to think about if we truly want to put on our new selves and grow up to be like Christ in every way.